In this Talking Heads, Evan and I will be speaking with Brian Martin, the chairman and CTO of 8x8. So, Dave, you've been following the news lately? I, I always follow the news. I never understand it, but I always follow it. Well, it seems like trade wars are on the front page every day, in particular tech trade wars with China. The, the, the new Cold War, the new, the new tech Cold War. Right. I mean, this is going to affect uh, everything from what kind of networking gear we're going to be able to buy at what price to what kind of smartphone we might be using in the future. This is kind of getting uh, serious. It's getting serious, and it's actually um, a serious problem, too, uh, because we're always seeing, we're regularly seeing uh, about all these hacks. And so we know that we have, as a uh, culture, as a species, whatever you want to describe the human race as, we have this inability to secure our technology in, at some level. And then you bring in the political the political uh, layer and uh, it gets even more complicated. And so the idea of having um, technology powered by uh, foreign countries that, to be used against us is a legitimate, interesting question. Now, you just you just bought a uh, a Huawei smartphone, as I recall. Yeah, it was a good deal, and it has a gigantic screen, which fits you know my gigantic hands. Yeah, I was going to say gigantic for most people. For you, it's just just a normal sized phone, actually. Yeah, for me, it's a flip phone. Yeah. But um. But essentially, I'm I'm hearing that uh, you know companies like Huawei and ZTE and others are going to be banned from procuring Google services, uh, Silicon, the embedded software that makes up uh, the App Store. It's uh, pretty disruptive, and frankly, I you know has massive uh, implications globally beyond just our borders. You you know we we used to kind of as Americans used to kind of make fun of of China for having the Great Firewall. And how they kind of block off uh, all their own, all these other Western sites. You can't get to Google, you can't get to Facebook, et cetera. And they have, they've built their own in China, right? They have their own services instead. But, but I have a feeling that's kind of the, uh, it's going to become the new norm that we're, we're, that every country or, or maybe global region is going to kind of have their own little firewalls. Yeah. I mean, the, the global supply chain, particularly in telecom, is so interwoven. You have silicon companies like Intel and Qualcomm and Broadcom selling chips and software globally. In turn, Huawei build products uh, around them and resell them globally. And that whole model, that, that the supply chain that's been built over decades is kind of being threatened and, and potentially torn apart. So you could see, um, you know, regions of the world, you know, creating their own operating systems, creating their own silicon, creating their own chips and infrastructure as a hedge against that. And I don't know that that that's going to be a good outcome for consumers, for businesses, for service providers. This is really dangerous territory. The other really interesting potential variable here is the Apple story, because Apple's got all their products built in China. And so far, all these tariffs have been avoiding the iPhone, you know, solar panels, yes, and, you know, certain other categories, yes. But if the iPhone goes up, uh, you know, 25% tariff or something like that, that's going to be devastating to Apple itself. So, so far, both sides are kind of playing, kind of playing, uh, steering clear around Apple, but uh, Apple's definitely a pawn in this, in this uh, tariff game. Well, you, you, and you wonder the, the, uh, the implications beyond just China. I mean, are companies going to start 
being reluctant to buy and license American-made technology, uh, give, given all these issues? Are we going to see new operating systems beyond iOS and Android uh, uh, arise because of this sort of uh, political situation? We've already seen China building its own apps from WeChat uh, onwards. And so, you know, when we're all sort of living behind our, our cages and walls and barriers, uh, what are the implications of that in terms of openness and uh, and uh, engagement uh, long term? So it's really we're, we're getting into some dangerous territory. Well, you know, that, that's why I'm still thankful that you and I are the only ones that listen to our to our podcast. Oh, I, w- I was just working on the Chinese translation, Dave. So, you know, I really. I was getting those subtitles up as we speak, too, so we can enter the, the Chinese market. <laughs> it's a podcast. There's no subtitles on the podcast. Oh, well, I, uh, that, oh I, I need to learn how this tech works, actually. Maybe that's my first, first <laughs> Well, I got, a, I got a great answer for you there, because we have a brilliant mentor to teach, uh, teach you how this tech works as our guest today. So let's get to that. So, Evan, today we have with us Brian Martin. Um, this is an unusual uh, set of uh, titles. He's both the chairman of the board and the chief technical officer of 8x8. Hello, Brian. Hello. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. So, Brian, you, you've been at, you know, I, I consider you kind of the, um, uh, the elder of the industry, and I don't mean to suggest you're too old or anything. I just mean to suggest that as far as I know, you've gone through Every, I think you you've been through you've been through the VoIP <laughs> industry and the UCAS industry before it was the UCAS industry. That's right. And before it was before it really was a VoIP industry either. How many names has Eight by Eight had since you've been there? For let's start. Oh, I've you. I've lost track. The the late '90s there was a flurry to redefine ourselves with, um, you know, whatever was hot that week, uh, and so there was a bunch of name changes, but. Uh, I started with the company right out of school. Uh, it was my first real job. I hope it. I hope it's my last uh, job as well. Um, uh, the company was called Integrated Information Technology, which was a mouthful, uh, so we abbreviated it to IIT. So we got mixed up with the India Institute of Technology. We got mixed up with ITT. It was an awful name. And when the company went public, which was way back in '97 we had a contest to rename the company. And of course it was a software engineer who came up with eight by eight, which at the time was, was with our video heritage, video communications uh, represented what at the time was the basic building block of video compression. That's where the name comes from. But yeah, I, I, we, we've changed, but we've kind of stuck with eight by eight over the time. When I, when I first came across your company, I think it was called packet eight. So that, that's a, that's a whole story in and of itself. Um, so I started the services business. We, we were historically a communications technology provider. We sold to big companies that built either communications equipment or, or they were service providers themselves. That's what we did. Um, and when the, the big internet bust hit, um, in 2001, all of those customers stopped buying from us. So we're sitting here with all this state of the art stuff that's been qualified by companies like Lucent, you know, test deployed in the field, being deployed globally. And 2001, we had absolutely no one to sell it to because all those companies stopped buying next generation network stuff. Uh, and so, you know, myself and a couple engineers and my assistant at the time, were sitting in my office like, well, we, we got to do something. Uh, let's try to sell this to end users directly and, and package it up. Uh, and that's how Packet 8 got started. And it's funny because new engineers We'll join here and there's still packet eight references uh you know in our platform 
and they'll be like, what is this packet eight stuff that's all over the place? But, but that was actually the name of the service. But the brand kind of um, became known in the industry as, as one of the first providers of, of voice over IP. And you're right. It was, it was, we, we were cloud before there really was cloud, you know, the, the Apple Steve Jobs vernacular around cloud didn't come until later. So uh, we didn't call it cloud back then. So Brian, how did you survive and thrive in what has been over two decades, a brutally competitive market? You know, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of VoIP providers yeah. uh, disappear and yet you're going gangbusters. So what, what do you think has been your uh, secret sauce and feel free to take full credit by the way <laughs> no. uh, for, for, for any of that. No, I, I've been uh, fortunate to work with some amazing uh, individuals that have really, you know, I, I got the credit for a while, but um, it, it's really the, the team around me that, that made the, the innovations possible. Um, so, so to me, and again, I'm a technologist, so I'm a little biased, but it starts with, with the technology and owning the whole platform. And you know, from day one, we, we were tempted to always go outside and, and buy and integrate components so we didn't have to write them. Um, but from day one, we, we chose to build everything ourselves. Uh, and, and day one, you know, being in that early 2000 timeframe. Um, and so even our billing engine to this day is still our own software. We control it. If I need to customize a bill for a customer, we can do that. And so, you know, since 2011, we've, we've really combined innovation with some really cool technology tuck-in acquisitions that have enabled us to, to deliver that service to bigger and bigger companies. And, and that, that is, you know, that's how we stay differentiated. That, that's how we uh, do it. Um, again, company, you know, there's some, some huge players out there, right? Microsoft, AWS, Google, all coming into the space. And so without that, that fire innovation to really speed you in front of those companies, uh, then yeah, you fall by the wayside. And, and we've seen that time and time again with, with competition. So you started off as a hardware company, but I don't believe you make any hardware today. Uh, have you considered, uh, you know I, know, I know you use like the polyphones and uh, I know you use, uh, you know, webcams in your solution, et cetera. Have you considered going back to hardware and differentiating your solution with <laughs> hardware? No, not at all. I, you know, we, we resell um, IP phones from some of the vendors you mentioned, as well as others. We, we lose money on every device we sell because we end up subsidizing it like a cell phone. Um, and, and we've replaced the, the innovation that's happened here on the endpoint is all around the software endpoints, right? The, the soft phones that run on your desktop, the mobile apps that, that run on your smartphone. Those are all um, down to the audio stack. Those, that, that technology is, is owned by us. And we've made some huge R&D innovations around quality of service, the analytics, um, everything to enable those mobile devices to operate on really rough public networks. So you know, when we sell to a, a Fortune 50 enterprise and that CEO for the first time is sitting in a in a uh, Marriott, not to pick on Marriott, um, you know, lobby-free Wi-Fi network with our mobile app, uh, and that network's got 20% packet loss on it and some of the worst jitter in the world, uh, or they're trying to join a meeting from a United Airlines in-flight, you know, Wi-Fi connection, uh, you've, you've got to be able to handle that. You've got to be able to conceal the fact that the network's crap and still deliver the best quality experience that you can. And a lot of this company's innovations on the endpoints is, is in those software platforms. Uh, and that's where we're investing all the R&D. Let's, let's talk about your dual titles. I think that's unusual to be the chairman of the board and to be an employee of the company. 
I know you were the CEO at one point. I, I, uh, were you fired or did you decide not you didn't like the CEO role? <laughs> and, and, and either one's fine, by the way. I don't, I, there's no, no, no uh, criticism. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I, last I checked, I think Larry Ellison has the same title. So I don't know if it's all that uncommon. And I, I would love to be uh, in Larry's position. So, so maybe that's what I'm aspiring to. No, I was, um, I was CEO of the company for a long time, from um, uh, February of 2002 until we brought Vic onto the board. Vic's our current CEO. We brought him onto the board in 2012. And, and I handed the reins of the company over to him in September of 2013. So, you know, there's there's 11 and a half years of, of being a CEO of a publicly traded company, you know, that had some really rough uh, growth that we had to go through. You know, I always like to tell people, I, I love making money, don't get me wrong, but, you know, my passion, is almost as good as making money is the technology and, and the advancements we can do. I, I love, you know, the moments backstage before we publicly unveil something or the night before we do a press release and what's been running in the lab for a year and a half, we're going to unleash on the world. Uh, I, I just there, there's a there's something really unique about that that I really love. So so I had the opportunity um, as we became more of an enterprise focused provider, you know, instead of me learning on the job how to sell to enterprises, we we really brought in a leader uh, who had done that. You know, had sold to to he was part of Lockheed at the time, uh, had sold to the the government, uh, had sold to to obviously very large customers that that, that Lockheed serves. Um, and, and so that that was kind of the the reasoning for the shift, and and it got me off the road a little more. I had some uh, teenagers running around that that I wanted to spend a little more time with, and it, it was just the right time to do it. What are, what are some of your favorite customers or customer stories? Do you have particular uh, anecdote that uh, you're you're especially proud of when it comes to an interesting customer or two, or are you allowed to share some of that? Yeah, I mean. I, yeah, I, I hate to put any um, any customer out there that's going to get me in trouble. So I I would say in general, you know, we started the business selling to consumers uh, and didn't didn't really focus on selling to businesses till 2006. So I, I like to tell people today, you know, there's I don't know, there's still a couple thousand consumer lines that are on our platform, but but essentially we're like a pure play B2B uh, startup that that started all of this 12 years ago, 13 years ago, I guess now. Um, and and my, the, the thing I wanted to highlight was the difference between selling to a business um, versus a consumer. The consumers, uh, if something went wrong, you know, there's a glitch in the service or the bill was wrong, they get red in the face and they yell at you. And, and even when you fix their problem, they're still kind of grumpy um, versus business owners and, you know, IT executives, the IT leaders we sell to today. Uh, they can get equally upset if you're not fulfilling uh, the needs that, that they're expecting from your service. But if you go in and actually fix their problem in, in a timely matter, you can turn a, a red-faced, angry business leader into a reference literally by just solving that problem. They're not, I think in the B2B community, they're really not used to being treated well. And so when a company goes out of its way or the chairman of the board gets on the phone and says, hey, we did something that, that's not right. We're going to fix it. And I'm going to get back to you in 48 hours and let you know it's fixed and why it's not going to happen again. They really appreciate that. And so what I've always loved about the, the people we sell to today is, is you, you can get that endearing loyalty. Um, as long as you're transparent, as long as you're honest, as, as long as you own up to what it is that your service does and doesn't do, uh, they, they really, really appreciate that. And that's what I love about, you know, coming into work every day is I get to interact with these customers 
uh, on those levels. That's a great insight. What, what do you think are the remaining barriers to cloud for the enterprise are when it comes to collaboration and enterprise communications? Yeah. You know, we still haven't moved over a lot of legacy. Uh, PBXs are still pretty ubiquitous. Exactly. What, 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 what will it take? What will it take to make that final push? from your perspective? I do believe um, there is a seismic shift going on in the way IT leaders think about communications in the cloud. And one of the benefits, you know, when Vic showed up here in 2013, I mean, we had been meeting uh, and, and strategizing, because again, I told you, we, we went small to large. We, we, we couldn't sell to a mid-market or enterprise customer. They, they just weren't interested in buying in 2013. Uh, and, and we, you know, we, we, um, we engaged with people like Jeffrey Moore crossing the chasm fame. And it's like, how do we drive adoption at these larger customers? And I remember you would go into a meeting with a CIO and I'd be up at the whiteboard, even explaining how you could get communications over, over the internet connection. You know, you had to explain it to them. It was just like a foreign, like that's a different planet, um, versus the environment we're in today. Everyone, I mean, every IT leader knows that best practices has become outsourcing to the cloud. They, they all accept the fact that someday their communications will end up there as well with a provider like 8x8. And the questions when I go in and meet with that same CIO are around what can 8x8 do to help me? Um, how do I mitigate the risk? Because this, this is a major kind of bet your job kind of replacement that you're going to do because again, it, that, that device, whether it's a soft phone or hard phone, that's sitting on the CEO's desk. And if you screw that up as an IT leader, you know, someone, someone's going to have to explain why you selected this solution and, and why it went that way. So, so to me, it's, it's about mitigation of risk. And, and most of that risk is on the deployment side. We still get, I think, security and this comfort with the public cloud. And again, if I kind of contrast it back to 2013, or maybe a little earlier, when, when Salesforce.com was really kind of breaking through that adoption cycle, you know, the conversations were very similar. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to take all my prospects that all my competitors are after. I'm going to upload that to the internet. You know, that doesn't make any sense. And, and today, no one, everyone runs their entire business off of a Salesforce CRM uh, or something equivalent. And so, you know, that same shift is, is starting to happen. We, we see the signs of that. Uh, like I said, it's it's moved into the, the lower part of the enterprise spectrum, and, and we're certainly signing up, you know, much, much larger customers than we did even a year or two ago. Um, but it hasn't broken out with, with you know, the Fortune 20 or Fortune 5. Th those customers are still a ways off, I think, for the space. But it, it's going to evolve there, and it, it's going to take the platforms and the solutions getting better so that that enterprise IT leader is totally comfortable that, Yep, I'm going to engage eight by eight, and I know they're going to make it happen. Just like today, you engage Salesforce, you know it's going to happen. So, to me, that's that's the, the process we're in. That's why it's so exciting with what's going on right now. Now, I, I want to ask you about uh, recent acquisition eight by eight made uh, Jitsi. Yeah, I, I I think it's a fantastic acquisition. I thought the timing was great with the with where Slack and Atlassian were. Yeah, but I, the number one question I get, and I want to I want to hear the answer from you, is you know. Do they realize, do the folks at 8x8 realize that you could have got all that stuff for free because it's open source? So why, <laughs> why, why did you buy Jitsi? What's, what's the logic of buying an open source solution? Yeah. Um, 
It's a great question. So, so number one, yes, we did realize it was open source. Um, you know, number two, Atlassian has actually been a, a great, both a partner, they're a customer of ours. Uh, we certainly use all their stuff, of course, as well. Uh, so, it's, you know, there was a tight relationship there that I think gave us kind of some early access to those discussions as they were, they were figuring out their strategy with what they wanted to do with that team. Um, you know, we bought them not just for the technology, but it, it was the team. I mean, Emil, who's the founder there, uh, and what he's been able to do on, on essentially no budget and, and build a brand for Jitsi, uh, get some of the customers that Jitsi still has on their open source platform. Uh, you know, it, it, is a, it is a really uh, cool team of people that, that know what they're doing and, you know, know how to build I think the, the next experience, you know, we, we've seen Zoom have phenomenal success in improving on what used to be a, a WebEx, you know, very, very heavy, very difficult to, to use experience, especially if you're using it for the first time, but there's still a long ways to go. I mean, the, the, I still measure how long it takes for us to start a meeting. Uh, this meeting started on time, so that's, that's great, but you got three really pretty, pretty good technologists on here. If, if you get, well, two. Okay. Fair enough. How dare, how dare you, Dave? So if you throw a couple marketing people in the room, some sales people, you know, it, these meetings still are, are taking eight to 10 minutes to start. And, it, and the first question is, can you see me? Can you hear me? Can you, you know, and it's just, it's ridiculous. And so I don't think anyone's cracked that nut yet. And so we're, we're still chasing that experience. And I, I think, um, uh, I know, Dave. I think you saw our our new platform that we're going to launch this summer with Jitsi. So, so we are we're continuing to support the open source um, initiatives. I think that's a new facet for eight by eight R and D. And I know that open source community initially was very uh, suspicious that hey, Atlassian was cool with us, but eight by eight might might shut it all down or might ruin it. You know, we're we're bending over backwards to assure that community that we're going to keep the open source going. But at the same time, we really want to package up something that hopefully gives you kind of zoom at the next level in terms of ease of use uh, and, and enables the right functions. You know, we're, we're not going for this heavy experience. I'm not going to launch something that turns the wall behind me into a beach. I'm not interested in those features. It's, it's the experience. Can an IT team deploy us without risk, be able to monitor the solutions globally, know that this, the moment someone unplugs an HDMI cable, that that room is offline, and I better dispatch someone to plug it back in because the next person that uses that room, you know, won't be able to use the video. Um, and so we built all that instrumentation into the packaging, and then most importantly is that literally one touch. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to click once, either on my laptop or on the tablet that's in the middle of the table, or a button on the IP phone that's in the room. Whatever it is, one touch, and I'm going to be in the meeting, and it's going to work. Uh, and so that's what, what we're chasing with, with that team. Uh, and, and we're so blessed to have, you know, their, their experience, their skills, their veterans in the space. And, and they've really got a chip on their shoulder that they want to prove that, that they can do it better than what's out there today. And, and so that's why we acquired Jitsi. Let's go through some of these big, uh, these big changes in the industry. And, and, you know, so for example, you know, video phones, um, uh, do you think the video phone will come back? I mean, is video now strictly going to be a desktop experience or a mobile experience? Or do you think that, that VVX type of hard phone with a big screen and camera on it is going to make sense at some point? Yeah, no, that that's um, having like a decade-long perspective on this. Because I was the biggest cynic on video. Again, going back to that 2012, 2013 timeframe, 
I remember Vic when he joined and, and he got really excited when he saw what we could do in video even back then. And I was like, don't even worry about that. No one, no one turns that on. No one cares about video. No one's going to pay extra for video. Um, and, and that's how big a cynic I had become. The, the other thing that's, that's changed. And, and so, you know, fast forward to today in the enterprise, video is absolutely the way people work. I, I think the, the workforce and, and this seismic shift that's being driven by how people work, how you even define what a workforce is when you've got teams that are distributed, you've got outside consultants and, and vendors and you need to pull them all together. Uh, so I see enterprise, I, I see video as an absolute must have, which is why we, we reinvested, you know, we're on our nth generation of video platform here. Um, and the other thing that I was a huge cynic on early on was WebRTC. And, and obviously we wouldn't have bought, Jitsi is a hundred percent WebRTC. Um, you will see, you know, 8Byte's always going to have a dedicated client as an option, but the native experience for that one touch join, seamless, it works, I'm in the meeting and we can start on time, really hinges around WebRTC. And WebRTC as a technology, and that's the other thing that Jitsi people brought with them was, was just, you know, state of the art leadership in, in the WebRTC community. Um, and, and it's funny how it's still a huge debate in, in the video industry. There, there's companies out there, some of the leading vendors that are still like, yeah, we can't have all the features we need. It's, it's not actually as easy to use because you don't have cross browser, mobile compatibility, all these complaints. Uh, but I've become a believer, you know, as of a year to two ago, when, when we started looking at it, it's like it's ready now. It, it's you know, and part of it was the Chromebook came along, and the only way to really um, support a Chromebook type of environment is to is to go browser. And so I, I think the the technology's finally moved to a point where it is ready for prime time. And so for me to say, you know, if you, <laughs> you took a quote from me, it'd be like a Trump speech. Took a quote from 2013 versus Brian's now saying WebRTC is enterprise ready. Uh, you know, that's where I think we are today. And so to answer your question, I don't, I don't. People have gone away from room furniture and these big consoles and, you know, no one's buying that stuff. Everything is soft client or it's the, you know, between 40 and 80 inch monitor that the flat screen that's in the room and how that natively connects with some type of SIP terminal. Could be a polycom system. It could be, you know, one of these other smart terminals that, that drive, you know, everything in the meeting room. Uh, that's That's the platform that really gets me excited. And the fact that any user on any device can join into that same experience and contribute, do everything that you can do in that room, whether it's video, content sharing, whatever, in HD audio, you can record from anywhere, you know, everything just works. And so I'm really excited about it and, and I'm really excited to get our 1.0 of, of the Jitsi experience, you know, out there in, in an enterprise grade product. I, I think it's gonna really change the way people think about Again, it goes back to how risky is it for me to deploy this, and will users actually use it? Well, I, I was a cynic too of WebRTC, but to be but to be clear, and I think the same with you. Well, to be clear, Dave is a cynic about everything, <laughs> not just WebRTC. But I, I'm inserting that caveat on his behalf. But, but I, I think I think I speak for your for you as well, Brian, uh, as myself. I was never a cynic of the vision or dream. I was a cynic of the timing. Um, yeah. And, you know, people were saying it's going to change everything in a year. And it took, it took five, six years, which is, which is right on schedule. And so exactly. I, I like to say I was right all along, which is what I always say. I, I want to go to the Wayback Machine and ask you about um, a watershed moment, uh, since we have a, a, a living historian on the, on the line. Here. Um, <laughs> living historian. Uh, what, what, uh, what, 
what was your take? What was your reaction? I mean, you were in the industry. You were you were you were a leader in the industry at the time. What was your response when you heard that Microsoft was buying Skype for eight and a half billion dollars? I mean, this was back in uh, I don't remember what year it was. It must have been, um, gosh, what was that? 20, 2015, 20, 2014, maybe. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, was this something that you think was good for the industry? Were you, were you guys looking at this, going, <laughs> our valuation went up, or were you were were you scratching your heads? Were you excited, dancing? What, what do you remember? I, I remember very well, and and you know, it, it's a it's a great way to ask the question. It, it'll it'll allow me to not uh, offend too many people the way I have to answer it. So, we've been competing in in one way or another with with Microsoft literally from like 1996. So so to me, having competition against them is is certainly nothing new. Um, I think there's a you know. Being around Microsoft and what they're doing is a great way to make money. You just have to make sure you never get directly on the train tracks in front of what it is that they want to do. You, there's there's plenty of ways to make money off on the side, uh, and that that continues to be a strategy that that has worked well for for eight by eight. Having said that, you know that moment when they actually became a service provider, they were actually starting to send out monthly phone bills for lack of a better word uh, around the Skype acquisition. You know, they had everything they needed to kind of just run over this industry. And, and there was, I, to me, it was an opportunity that was missed because they, they could have shut not just eight by eight down, but, but most of the industry down if it had been uh, executed correctly. Uh, I knew a lot of the Skype people, um, all the good ones left, you know, almost immediately. They, they weren't happy there. And, and for whatever reason, I, I, you know, I don't know anything of, of what actually happened within Microsoft. I just know what I hear that uh, for whatever reason, they, they, you know, the execution wasn't there. And so um, I think I credit Microsoft with great vision. I, I think uh, like the demos they've done at Enterprise Connect the last couple of years have been spot on that the vision is perfect and it, it's a great model for those of us to to look at what their vision is, tweak it a little for, for kind of, you know, technical reality and then, you know, really use it um, creatively to, to try to go build some new things that, that change the way the industry operates. Um, and, and so I see them doing that. I mean, there's the innovations they're driving with teams. Uh, you know, our teams is going to be out there. And so companies like 8Byte have to figure out how do we coexist with teams how can we add value to teams? Uh, we came out with a federation strategy a couple couple years ago that we call Same Room that allows you to connect Slack with, you know, at the time Skype for Business, whatever chat tool that the different teams are using. Uh, you know, and Microsoft was one of the, the companies that validated that approach. They said, yeah, it, we're not going to focus on federation and mediation interoperability of our chat with other with companies like Slack. So if you need that, go to eight by eight. And so Again, I, they, they employ a ton of smart people. The reason you've seen 8x8 vastly increase our R&D this last year, I think we grew our R&D spend more than 50% is because you know, you've got to do that to keep up with Microsoft. So wow. um, that, those are kind of my, my thoughts on them. Let me ask you, Brian, looking back to looking forward, what do you think about some of the emerging technologies that might impact enterprise communications like VR, AR, mixed reality? Are you bullish, bearish on those? 
short term, long term? What 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 is your take? Yeah, I I think there's a lot of promising stuff that um, since we've already established, it's really a five to six year uh, cycle to get it get it you know ready to actually deliver something. I um, the augmented reality stuff, you know, it, it got I think it got interested in the mainstream media when, when Facebook and I think some others have made some acquisitions and then you really haven't seen that progress. Um, uh, I forget who did the demo. There was an enterprise connect demo. With, I forget which company it was that, um, that showed you, you know, a meeting happening through that. I forget if that was Cisco. You guys probably remember uh, a couple years ago, you know, well, we've, we've, we've seen, we've seen 5g holograms. Uh, we've seen, you know, virtual reality. I have the new Oculus quest here. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'm going to open. So there's all kinds of platforms emerging. It's just a question of will users adopt these things, right? Yeah, like wear a, wear a headset two hours. My, my, my take is they're, they're really sexy demos. They'll get you to turn ahead. But again, the, the, the IT leaders that I speak to every day, they're, they're thinking about some of this stuff. And, and I, I do think AI and bots uh, in a contact center setting is, is something that a lot, I think it was Dimension Data just put a study out at this most recent Enterprise Connect that, that there's a lot of contact center managers that are thinking of deploying those technologies in the next 12 months, uh, but the majority of them haven't deployed it yet. And, and in reality, it'll probably take us a few more years to really get the experience to where it needs to be. But But that's, again, that's why I love getting up every day and coming in here is we can make a difference in how that stuff works. Uh, okay, so I, I got one other question for you about along, along these lines of uh, AI. Tell us about your other acquisition, Marijuana AI or IQ. Marijuana IQ, I think it is. <laughs> it's not marijuana. It's Mariana. Mariana IQ. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting, that that whole thing, we met that team and it really, honestly, the, the transaction started as a simple, um, uh, they're called aqua hires now. They're very, very popular out here. A lot of investment bankers kind of laugh at the term, but it is so hard to hire, um, you know, state-of-the-art veteran AI scientists here in the, the greater San Francisco Bay Area that, that we met this team that had a bunch of them and they were local and, you know, they, they were just coming off a product launch that, that didn't hit the market. The, the funny thing is um, you have all these AI ML companies here in the Valley who have great ideas, but they actually have no data to actually apply those ideas to. They, they, they've got the algorithms without the data. And 8x8's got the inverse problem. We have data coming out of our ears. You know, who called who for how long off of what net, what was said in the meeting, blah, blah. There's so much metadata that comes flowing out uh, of our platform. And we're still trying to figure out how do we take all the data, the raw data that we've got, and actually make it useful for our customers. Uh, to consume. And so, you know, that team saw the data we had, they understood immediately that that we had the data. Uh, and, and so they came on um, and, and we're actually even able to repurpose some of their technology into our platform, which we didn't think originally was was going to be part of, of the deal. But, um, you know, that, that worked really well. And uh, that team is, has been extremely productive. And a lot of Basically, all of the AI uh, ML demos that we did at, at Enterprise Connect were, were coming off of a lot of the work that team's done. That's fabulous. One, one more question. I, I noticed you hired a chief security officer recently. Um, security is, is top of mind on everyone's mind from the C-suite to the board downwards. How, how do you um, deal with, you know, clients' concerns and, and uh, issues around cloud security in particular? How can you give them a, a warm and fuzzy feeling about 
protecting them and their assets in the cloud. Yeah. Um, again, I think in, in the broader cloud adoption, Google um, put out a survey. It's, it's about a year old now, but I'm sure it's still relevant that, you know, the number one thing holding back broader proliferation of clouds of all kinds across the enterprise is concerns about security, compliance, uh, regulatory, all, all those types of concerns, privacy. Uh, and so we we had that function here at 8x8, but we did up-level it to a global CISO um, who's really come from an enterprise background. And, you know, it all starts with the conversation. We, we had a, um, a very conservative European uh, company. I, I can't you know, say their name, but it's, it's a brand you would recognize who um, was interested in our service and but, but really wanted to understand the security impl implications. And our very first meeting with their security team started with a statement from them saying, none of the data across your service will ever touch the public cloud. And we said, okay, we, we can do that. It's going to be really, really expensive for you to set up all these private networks everywhere, and it's going to restrict your ability to be in the lobby of that Marriott. And so let's start the conversation about like, why are you making that statement? What's driving that concern? And then let us explain to you how we use the technology and what we've built to address those concerns, make it auditable, make a security framework, you know, that, that you can understand. And so um, it took nine months. It, it's, I said they're European, they were German. Uh, it took nine months, but we actually ended up deploying that customer just like we deploy every other customer and it's 100% public cloud. And so it's a dialogue that you have to have, and it, it's really an education, and it's us listening. And, and I don't want to pretend that, that we cover, you know, the banking industry is going to be a long ways off. There, there's other industries out there that aren't ready to really take this leap yet, but, you know, it will happen. Uh, it, it is a better way of delivering the service. All right. We like to wrap up our podcast with the with one obligatory question. You mentioned earlier that you like to uh, make money. What do you plan on spending it on? What is your next big uh, purchase? And I, I don't know. Does the chairman and the CTO take vacation at the same time, or do you? <laughs> you know, I'm even when I'm on vacation, I'm always I'm always available. Um, I, I'm in a I'm in an era of my life where all I do is I pay tuition bills. I, I've got a a son who's who just finished his freshman year right near you, Dave. I think you're out near near you're in Boulder, I think, and he's he's at the Colorado School of Mines in Golden. And it's amazing how expensive for a state school that out of tuition rate is when you're coming from California. Yep. Um, and so I write checks for him, and then my my younger son um, is is going to be a junior at Archbishop Mitty here in San Jose, which, which is even the Catholic schools are very expensive these days. So yeah, I, all I do is I, I write tuition checks. I don't, I don't really uh, buy anything for myself anymore. Colorado School of Mines is well known for its uh, engineering disciplines. Is your son following, uh, following your, your, your path? He is. He's, he's studying mechanical engineering, which is funny. My, my dad was a mechanical engineer, and I remember that was the reason I specifically wanted to be an electrical engineer, at least when I was super young. Then I, then I found out it's actually fun. And I, it occurs to me, my wife and I are both double E's, so it, it's possible that he's a mechanical. But he actually loves uh, a planes and, and aeronautics, and, and he's he's doing the mechanical as an undergrad to kind of get the basics. Good for him. Uh, but he, he re, he's trying to figure out whether he wants to fly planes or build planes. He's not not quite sure yet. But whichever one it is, it's it's an expensive path. So um, that's what I spend my money on. 
Well, that, that's great. Education is always a good thing, and, and, uh, and that's a great school, so very exciting. So with that, I'd like to thank you for your, for joining us on this conversation. I found it extremely interesting, and uh, really wish you the best of luck with everything you're doing at 8 by 8 in your career world. That's great. Thank you very much, Dave. Thank you, Evan. Thanks so much. You want some information, some kind of conversation, Bye.